Welcome to the Get Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Liz McGavro, and I'm obsessed with all things writing, creativity, and telling your stories in your authentic voice, because I believe a good story can change the world. Ever since I was a little girl with my nose in a book, I dreamed of being an author. I wanted to see my books in bookstores everywhere. I wanted to talk about books. I wanted to soak up everything about the craft. My celebrity crushes were mostly authors and I could feel in my bones that the writer's life was my destiny. Fast forward to today. Along with my alter ego, Kate Conti, I'm an Agatha Award-nominated best-selling author with three mystery series, but it wasn't all smooth sailing along the way. I experienced many setbacks, crushing self-doubt, a lot of career detours, and I even lost my voice a few times when I let the world get in my way. Until I learned that writing was so much more than just a skill set you learned and developed over time. It's also an inside job that flourishes when you heal all the wounds that are stifling your creativity, which is no easy task. So if you're a writer of any kind, or if you've always wanted to write but aren't sure where to start, this is the place for you, my friend. We're gonna talk about all things writing process, craft, strategies to help you get writing and stay writing, the daunting world of agents, editors, and publishing, And because I'm using my authentic voice, I'm going to throw in a little woo-woo for you too. So let's get writing, shall we? podcast. Today is a really special day. Well, by the way, I'm your host, Liz McGavro, and I'm really excited, as you might be able to tell. It's a super special day today because it's launch day for Which Way Out, the third book in my Full Moon Mystery series. I love this series. It's got witches. It's got crystals. It's got cats. I mean, just all kinds of fun stuff. If you're not familiar with the books, they feature Violet Mooney, an unsuspecting crystal shop owner who unexpectedly finds out she's a witch which of course brings all sorts of problems into her life, including a long lost family, a seat at the magical council table where she's expected to jump in and govern a whole new world. And of course, murder and mayhem. I'm so excited about today's launch. This book is, you know, it's been a while getting it out into the world and I'm just happy that it's here now. And here's a little blurb about it. When Violet Moon's coworker and fellow witch calls to say that their Connecticut crystal shop, the Full Moon, has been selected as a vendor at the Spring Equinox Fair, it's welcome news. Ever since she learned about her magical ancestry, Violet's been struggling to learn her craft while staying out of trouble, which is no easy feat when her family seems to be the target of a power grab within the realm, putting the entire magical community on edge and setting Violet on a mission. With her investigation conjuring more questions than answers, Violet tries to focus on the fair which is being run by one of her personal heroes. Horatio Heal is a proponent of ethical crystal mining, but apparently not everyone is a fan. Violet's shocked when she goes to attend a meeting with him and finds him dead with an ax stuck in his chest. To uncover the motives behind the mayhem in both the mortal and magical worlds, Violet's going to need more than a crystal ball, and it'll take all the power she's been honing, plus some she didn't know she had, to save herself. So I hope that gives you a little glimpse into the book. If you pre-ordered it, you should have it today. And if you haven't, go get it at your favorite bookstore. It should be right there in the new release section of the Cozy Mysteries. And I'm really excited for you to get your hands on it. But today isn't just about me. It's also launch day for a sweet friend of mine. And she's joining me on the podcast to talk about her journey to publication, her first series, and all things writing. Her name is Karina Moss. And here's a bit about her. Karina Moss is the author of the Cheese Shop Cozy Mystery Series set in Sonoma Valley, including the Agatha Award-nominated first book in the series, Cheddar Off Dead. She loves creating quirky characters who live in idyllic small towns. She grew up on a healthy dose of Nancy Drew and Agatha Christie novels, which developed her passion for solving mysteries and eventually writing her own. She lives in a small New England town with its own share of quirky characters. Karina is a member of Sisters in Crime and Mystery Writers of America. She blogs on Writers Who Kill. For the past several years, Karina's been on her own eat, pray, love journey, which seems to have stalled at the eat phase. When not writing or sampling new cheeses, a perk of the job, she can be found with a new favorite cozy, doing jigsaw puzzles, or discovering new travel destinations. She has an affinity, some might say addiction, to coffee mugs. Who doesn't? 
She loves cats and can't pass up a new notebook or journal with all those fresh, empty pages. Same here, sister. Her new book, Curds of Prey, is out today. Welcome, Karina. Hi, Karina. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Liz. How are you? I'm good. I'm so happy that you're here and that we get to have this conversation on a super special day because we're both releasing books today. So congratulations. Thank you. Congratulations to you too. (laughs) Thank you. I know it's so fun. And congratulations on your Agatha nomination. That's a huge Mm -hmm. deal. So yay. That's fabulous. Sending you all good vibes for the teapot. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I'll need them with the, my competition is stiff. <laughs> and it really is an honor to be nominated. So I'm just thrilled with all of it that comes with it. So and Agatha as well. And just getting to meet the other panel, the, the other nominees doing a panel with them. I mean, I'm yeah. still friends with uh, a couple of like, we talk all the time. So it's yeah. awesome. Yeah, it is awesome been great very cool so all right well let's jump in tell everyone listening about your series and you know how you got the inspiration for willa and cheese and all of that good stuff (laughs) introduce your i mean i've done i'll you know they're gonna they've heard a little bit about you and your book series in my introduction but we'd love to hear from you so yeah so it's the cheese shop series and um my protagonist is willa bauer and you know a lot of people always ask where i got the inspiration for the cheese or for willa and Character inspiration for me is kind of tough to answer because um, for me, I do bits and pieces. Things come in bits and pieces for me. I, I know I started with where it was going to be set based on the cheese theme. And then when I had that kind of in my head and set, you know, then the idea for the shop came along and then the character, main character, Willa. And then, you know, and I tried not to base her on um, myself, because I I had written my first book that I took a long time to write that didn't get published, um, was very much me head to toe, all everything. And, um, and so I feel like that character is somewhere out there, you know? And so when I started this one, I was like, no, no, she's not going to have curly hair. She's not going to whatever. And, and yet I write first person. So I couldn't help, I found that my character is, you know, has my sarcasm and has uh, some of the issues, you know, that I have. And so, um, you know, I couldn't help. She, she sounds like me. She's not like me in other ways, but she certainly sounds like me and I couldn't help that. So that's where that goes. And as far as the cheese, um, you know, it's a great theme. It wasn't my idea. Um, it was an editor from St. Martin's who was um, looking for a, a writer to write a cozy mystery uh, about a cheese shop owner. And so I threw my hat in the ring and did a proposal for it. And um, But, you know, that's pretty much all I had, cheese shop. So I came up with everything else. And the more I research cheese and thought about cheese and all of that, it really has been, I mean, especially the more I research it. And now that I've met um, women who own cheese shops, uh, there's one locally and uh, we, I, I, the two women who own it are young women, they're sisters, very much like Willa, although I didn't meet them until last year. And so, you know, I'd already written three books by then, but um, coincidentally, they're very much like her and the cheesemonger Nina is. And so the more I talk with people like that, the more inspiration I get because they're so passionate and they're so smart about it and they just, you know, they love it. And there's so much to know about cheese. It's so interesting. So I, I do get inspiration just from that and those people. And um, it's very, you know, it's a cozy topic. I think it's a, it's a great theme. I wish I could take credit for it um, because it's cozy. It's comforting. It is communal. Everybody's got a cheese platter at a gathering. Now there's those big charcuterie boards and um, cheese tables and cheese bars, which um, Willa is doing in Curds of Prey. She's going to a wedding shower and um, having a cheese bar with all the cheese that you can just come up. It sounds divine. And so, um, so yeah, so it's, the cheese is very inspirational and everything else I kind of just built upon. That's so fun. And it, the book is great. And you do really get that, your first book I'm talking about, especially, um, and you really do get that feel for 
you know, everyone kind of gathers around this cheese shop and it's just, it's really cool. I love the, I love that about cozies. Um, and it reminds me of, you know, when I, when my first, my first series was about, um, Stan Connor, who was a gourmet pet food chef. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know anything. Part of my contract was uh, recipes, <laughs> which I didn't even really think about at the beginning. Yeah. I was just really focused on the book. And then I think the night before it was due, I realized, oh my gosh, I need to come up with some recipes. <laughs> right. And so that was a whole thing. And after that, I was like, I never want to do that again. So I found a guy who owns it or owned at the time a um, a gourmet pet bakery and he would like give me recipes and you know I would give the store credit and like okay. he would send he, would, he was just very cool he had a lot of input um and it became a thing where you know it took a few books for Stan to have her own shop but it was definitely a topic people could come you know gather around because everyone wanted to get food for their or treats for their animals and it was just a nice way to get the community together so yeah people love culinary cozies for that and yeah recipes actually they didn't ask me to do that till after I wrote the book um and sent in the manuscript because I had just had Willa making some recipes as she went through and you know when I put them in there I was just gathering you know looking up recipes online and I wouldn't say the recipe in it I would just do um recipes here and there and so uh after when they got the manuscript and they read it, they said, what do you think of putting these recipes in that would have, um, uh, you know, that Willa did? And I was like, well, but I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a good cook. I'm not a recipe maker. And, and the recipes were already there. So I thought, okay. So that took a lot to then not just copy somebody's recipe. But now I do have friends and the women at um, spread cheese company in Middletown, Connecticut. They have a website where they have some cheese recipes. So they let me borrow from that, which is great. Now this is like four books in. Yep. That's awesome. Mm. I, yeah. Right. Cooking was not my thing either. <laughs> so. Yeah. But I do love the culinary cozy because I love eating. So <laughs> yeah. that works yeah. out. <laughs> but yeah, the rest Yeah. Of and people love it, right? Like I, people who read my, my first series, which is my only series with recipes were always writing to me about the recipes. Like I was really surprised how people really get into it. I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. I have, there's people on Instagram who post, um, my recipes and say that they've made them and they, they've enjoyed them. And I love getting that. I'm just like, wow. I did that with a couple of books too. Diane Mott Davidson's catering, um, cozy mysteries. I may remember making some of her things. So, um, but I felt like that was very authoritative where me, I'm just, you know, your basic, not very good cook. So I get a little nervous, but, um, so far so good. <laughs> Awesome. So were you always a cozy girl? Yes, I I was. I mean, I started with Nancy Drew, of course, and Agatha Christie. And then um, when I went through all of her books at the library, I was looking for something similar. And I found Sue Grafton, you know, not a typical cozy, but a traditional mystery with an amateur sleuth. And well, not really amateur either, but um, I found her and again, uh, wanted something similar to her series because it was in the beginning. This was in the 90s. And, um, and then I started finding cozy mystery writers and I was just like, wow, this is amazing. And they all had series. So it wasn't just that I could love one book and had to wait. Like I was a little behind on many series so I could just binge cozies. So I loved them. And when I went to write my own, that was what I definitely gravitated toward. Yeah. So did you always want to be a writer? Yes. Um, yeah, that was, you know, when I was young, I always just wrote just for myself when I was little, I think because I loved reading so much. Um, and so the next best thing was just, well, I could make worlds of my own, you know, I, I can have this imagination, even when the book is done, you know, I'd be like, Oh, my gosh. And so I kind of just wanted to write. And so I was just doing it for myself a lot. And then when I was a teenager, I definitely was still writing, but I, my world was kind of very small. And I never felt like that was a real thing that could happen. And especially because I idolized writers so much and authors that I read. And so it would be like saying, oh, I'm going to go out to Hollywood and be an actress. I mean, for me, it was the same like 
that would never happen. So when I went to college, I, I went for journalism because I, I didn't go for creative writing. That would, you know, and I was paying my own way through college. So I wanted to have a job when I finished, you know, and then I hated journalism because it wasn't really about writing. And so then I switched to psychology because I liked one course that I took and I do like psychology. I actually really enjoyed that in school, but it was the last semester of my senior year in college that um, I took a creative writing course just for fun. And the, the professor said, you know, you're really good at this. And it was the first time I got that kind of validation from somebody who knew what he was talking about, or really from anybody, because I didn't really show my work a lot, you know. Um, and so then I was like, oh, wow, maybe I should have done it. Maybe I could have done it. And yet I already felt like it was a little too late. So I went to grad school for a little bit for psychology, and then I met a girl there who was in uh, graduate school for creative writing. And again, it was like, if I had had the guts, I would do that. And so I quit graduate school and started to write books. And, you know, I was going to be a writer. I knew nothing. I knew, you know, I wrote bad books. I was going to write the next Nancy Drew. So I was writing like young adult mysteries that were probably too young for young adult. Um, and, and did that. So the only time I was really earnest about it was when I didn't know what I was doing in my twenties. And then I ended up getting married and having a family and I always kept writing, you know, I, I won a short story, um, Connecticut, uh, statewide short story contest. It was a Christmas short story contest from the Hartford current and cool. Yeah, it was fun. And we made that into, a. A short ballet that was uh, performed at the Bushnell before the Nutcracker because it was a Christmas story. So that was all very exciting. And, um, you know, I, I did some articles for magazines and um, I did some humorous essays for um, Patch, which is an online local newspaper. And so I kept my hand in it and I always kept wanting to be a, a writer, but it was more of a back burner thing for a very long time. Yeah. It's so interesting how we, we get these stories told to us. Right. And I, you know, I don't know if anyone told you that story or if you just kind of, it's how society portrays artists and writers as, you know, people who can't actually make money and we grow up with this and we kind of have this in our head and it, it sort of derails us a little bit. I mean, eventually we get there if we focus on it like you and I, but I had that same story too. I remember my, my dad telling me when I told him I was going to major in English and communications as my bachelor's degree. Um, he was like, Oh, what are you going to do with that? And I said, I'm going to be a writer. And he said, Oh, that's very nice, but you should have a backup plan. You should maybe minor in education. And I was like, no, I don't, I mean, nothing against education, but I didn't want to do it. Exactly. Yeah. Mine was more of, um, it was just out of reach. You know, there was just no way I'd be able to, um, do that. And I didn't have a lot of, um, you know, people, I was the, first person in my family to go to college. And so um, I was just kind of leading my own way and not really having much direction of what I wanted to do, you know, and something like that just felt way out of reach for, for me. Yeah. Yeah. I will say though, the psychology major must be really good though, to have his background for creating characters. (laughs) It really is. And I do love it. And I did actually, you know, I was in the wrong program for the PhD program. I wasn't quite in the, ended up, you know, and that is why I left. It wasn't just for, you know, to be a writer, but it was because I wasn't quite in the program that maybe would have been best for me. But um, I, but it was, it did give me a lot of insight and I think I'm kind of good at that too. So yeah, that was a good background to have. Yeah. All right. So now you've decided, all right, I'm going to be a writer. So how did you, how did you start? Did you just sit down and write? Did you have a plan or a goal? Like, what did you, what did you do? Well, the difference was I, I, um, in 2016, I was divorced and I moved out about two weeks before my 50th birthday. So these were seminal events in my life. And I just thought, okay, now is not the time to think that, you know, you're going to have forever that you're going to dream. And I just thought, what, what do I want to do? I was always, um, not always, but the last 12 years before then I was a stay at home mom. So, um, I had to think of something that I was going to do. And, um, I thought, you know what, it's risky financially, but 
I will always regret if I don't give this 100% this one time. And if it doesn't work out and I end up, because I had a few years with child support, I had to stay home. My, my son had special needs and I had to stay home for him. So I had a part-time job, but um, this was my time to like build on a career before he turned 18 and I had to financially support myself. So I decided um, that I was really going to do this and you know, this is what I was going to spend my time. And if it was the wrong thing, it was the wrong thing. But at least I would know for once, you know, beside my 20s, when I didn't know what I was doing, I had been writing all this time. So I felt like I knew a lot more. And I'd met some people already by now. And um, so I just thought, okay, I'm going to do this. And so I just changed my perception of a dream to a goal. Like this is what's going to happen. I had five years to do it because then that was from 12 to 18, my son, and when he would be moving out of the house and I needed to have something going already by then. And if it didn't happen, it didn't happen. I was going to put it aside. So, um, so that's what happened. I already had a manuscript that I had written. I'd started when he was four. That's how long I had been writing it. I had already, um, and we'll probably talk about later, I'd already met you and some authors who gave me some good feedback on what I needed to have for a cozy mystery. So I knew I needed to change it. And so I spent a while revising it. And um, so I already, you know, kind of had that. And I'd already queried in the past. So I, I kind of knew the routine of what I needed to do. Um, but I just made it a lot more like, okay, you're going to get this, not a weekly deadline, not anything like this, but by this date, you know, whether it was however many months in a, in, you know, ahead, I was going to have my manuscript revised. And then I was going to have these queries. And I, I liked to query in batches so that when I got feedback, I could make changes or whatever. So I was going to query. So I did that. Um, and I got a lot of um, good feedback. I got some, uh, you know, full manuscript requests. I got R&Rs, re revise and um, resubmit. And yet it was still uh, rejection ultimately. So I just thought, you know, I'm I'm making changes laterally here. I'm not moving forward. And that's when, um, I heard from you for a different reason. You were so kind. You heard about my divorce and we, um, met for lunch and you suggested that I get an editor for it and see what's going on with it. And that was really the, the huge, change because that's what I did. I got Barb Goffman, who you suggested, and um, she was amazing. And um, I, I learned so much from her. And even more than I, I learned so much, there was three definite things. I learned so much. It was like masterclass and cozy writing. And so all the things, you know, I'd been a cozy reader for all these years. So I thought, I know cozies. And you know, as a reader and as a writer, it's kind of almost two different things. And so um, there's still things that you don't get as a reader that you know as a, you know as a writer. So I got that. And then also she was so supportive because it was really a time when this was I was um, about two years in, I guess now on my five year plan, and I had you know gotten all these rejections even though they were good, and I just felt like okay there needs to be something going forward. And this is where goals and dreams differ because if it was still a dream after those queries and all of that, I might've just put it aside and licked my wounds and stuff, but I really wanted something, you know, different. I had to do something different with it and get it going. And, um, and so when she was so supportive of it and loved it, uh, even with its faults, I just thought, okay, I really have something here. And so after I made the changes, I, felt so confident in it that I queried it again to three more agents and I got three more rejections. And I thought for the first time, it wasn't like, oh, something's wrong with the manuscript. But the first time I thought, I'm not going to the right agents. Like I was that confident now in my manuscript. And so um, I looked for a different way to find an agent. And um, I went to, I happened upon Twitter um, because they have agents and, and which I had just found out about, I didn't realize, um, that you had kind of more access to what they were thinking, what they wanted, all of that. 
um, did it, did some pitch parties, got some um, likes from that, which is, you know, you pitch to an agent and then well, you pitch on Twitter. And then if an agent happens to see it and like it, you can send them a query saying, remember, you like this, you know, and then they get back to you right away. Um, and then I also at the same time found Savvy Authors who.com. Um, and that's for unpublished writers. I would go there anyway. It's just a website, absolutely free. I don't get anything from them. It's just, they do a lot of things for unpublished, uh, writers. And there was another pitch party where they, it's kind of opposite where they have agents and small published editors who you pitch to specific editors and then they guarantee that they'll read them. And so I had a couple agents from there wanting to read my work. So I ended up getting three offers of representation from that. And so that was just that one pivot and being confident in my work uh, led me to that. And so, um, so yeah, so then I, I got my agent and, um, and that was then about almost exactly a few months after the two year mark of when I decided, you know, this was going to be my plan. So all the, you know, 20, 30 years before, and then I just changed from a dream to a goal and two years. Now, not that that's the whole difference, but, you know, it does build upon itself. No, absolutely. I think that's amazing. And I love the determination. Like, I always remember that about you from the first time we met. You were just really, like, determined, like, I'm going to figure this out. And I love that, right? Because a lot of people, they might not take that extra step and they might just think, well, you know, it's hard and it's not meant not meant to be for me and they'll just let it go. But you, you did it. Like you took your dream and you made a goal out of it. And that's, that's like huge. So oh, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It's still amazing to me, even looking back, I think, you know, you can only do stuff like that when you're very naive about it. <laughs> because if you really knew everything that was involved and all the different, you would be like, yeah. I'm not going to try that, you know, so it's only, you know, the, the flush of ignorance, you know, that allows yeah. you to be that bold and say, yes, I'm going to do this in five years. Because honestly, you know, looking back, I think I can't believe it worked out, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, it is a funny business. I, you know, people always ask, you know, ask me about how, my publishing journey. And I always like to say, you know, after 10 years of trying, it kind of happened overnight. <laughs> right. So exactly. That's exactly pretty much. Yeah. I kind of have to know all the, like the ins and outs, and then you have to be prepared for when like an opportunity comes along. And it kind of sometimes takes all that time for you to like have all of those things that you kind of need to have in order to, um, be able to take any opportunity that comes your way. Yeah, for sure. All right. So you had the drive, you had the goal. Let's talk about time. How did you prioritize time? Cause it's, you know, a lot of people trying to, to break in and even people who are in, like I'm raising my hand, I've been in for a while and I'm still doing other things. Right. So how do you make the time? Um, you know, at first it was difficult. I still, um, I would have to say anybody, you know, especially for a mom, it's, it's hard. And if I was still married, I, you know, I honestly don't think it would have happened because I didn't prioritize it. I didn't prioritize my time. Um, and I, and I don't know how, so I'm not going to say, Oh, you should do this. You should, because I didn't do it until after I was divorced. Um, my son. So, so you're not recommending that strategy? No. <laughs> no, don't get divorced to be a writer. No. <laughs> it might work, but mm, um, so, yeah, that's funny. Um, no, so but we shared custody of my son, and so he was with uh, my ex-husband for two weeks, and then with me for two weeks, and so I still the two weeks I had him. Now he was in middle school. And of course, it was the beginning of our divorce, so I I did want to prioritize him. Um, still. And so um, I basically didn't write so much when he was there. And then the two weeks he was gone, I wrote and I, you know, had cereal for three times a day. And I just, you know, I didn't clean, I didn't do anything else. And then when he was home, I would be like a regular person and do errands and clean the house and, you know, see a friend and whatever. Um, and unfortunately, I kind of even though he's now in college and away, he doesn't live at home anymore, I didn't get out of that habit of, okay, when I need to get something done, I'm just going to do it and I'm just going to be all in. And the problem with that is, 
you know, it takes six to eight months to write a book. And so you can't do that for six to eight months. And so now I make it a daily, it's definitely, I write daily. I don't, I think that didn't happen until I got the contract. Um, And then I had a a deadline from someone else. And, uh, you know, when I saw my name on that Macmillan Publishers contract, I was just like, and it was, based on a proposal, it wasn't already a book I had done. So I was really freaked out, like, okay, Macmillan Publishing is, like, signing me on a promise? You know, I mean, yes, I wrote the proposal, synopsis, and all that, but it's not a book, you know? And so I just, I was, like, freaked out on that, and so I thought, okay, I need to get going on this. Um, And so the daily practice uh, eventually came in and I do that now, although not at the same time of day. I try, I, I try to like say, okay, from this time, this time I'm going to write. And it just never seems to happen. So, but I do write every day and I do write for several hours every day. Um, and you know, that's, so as far as prioritizing, I mean, you know, I wrote, let's see, I wrote the first three books, you know, or the first two, especially during COVID with my son home, uh, schooling at home, you know, cause of COVID. So, um, that was difficult, but like I said, most of the time it was when he was not there. So I am not really one to give advice on how to prioritize. Cause I still don't know. Yeah, no, I'm with you. <laughs> I'm yeah. with you. It's like every day it's a new, a new, you know, trying to figure out a new strategy for how am I going to conquer this finally? <laughs> Exactly. Especially with marketing and everything. There's more and more that comes with the with the more books you have and, you know, the more you're read. And um, it just yeah, I I keep thinking, okay, if I just think about this hard enough, I can make something work and uh, it hasn't happened yet. But I still have hope. (laughs) Yes, always have hope. Yeah, but that that uh, that contract for that first book especially can be a very uh, motivating thing to get mm-hmm. your button gear or in the chair and and get those uh those words down for sure absolutely yeah you always need good incentive and even for my five-year plan you know the big incentive was not only okay i don't want to you know look back on my life and regret this but it was financially motivated i needed a career in five years and i knew i did and yeah. you know sometimes it just takes a really good incentive and a lot of times you know a deadline is an incentive where you realize okay you don't need to wait until you know your muse shows up to work you can work through it and i have learned that writing anything is better than writing nothing. Like even my crappy pages when I'm having a terrible writing day and it looks like a first grade primer with, you know, C-Bane run, you know, it's still the next day when I go back, there's still something there to take from. And it still um, is much better than another blank page again. It still pushes me through. And sometimes it is just the getting going part. So um, it really is a that's the one thing I would say is just put your butt in the chair and and try just give yourself a timer or something and say you're gonna write even if it's even if it's bad yeah absolutely I remember a teacher in grad school saying that she said you know it's easier to go back and fix something bad than to fix a blank page absolutely yep all right, so let's talk about how you got into publishing because you know we, we talked about this when we were getting ready for this podcast and how people often think there's only like one way to get a publishing contract, but really there are so many ways, like especially today, I think there's more ways than ever to get in the door. So talk about how, how you got in. So after I got my agent with that book that I had uh, worked on and everything, um, she submitted it and it was rejected. It didn't get published. And... Um, they had a lot of nice things to say about the voice and the writing and whatever. They just didn't think it was, would work for the target audience. And so, um, I started working on another one that my agent and I had talked about might be more marketable and wrote that, gave it to her. She submitted it and we trickling of the rejections. And I was just like, Oh no. And then at that time, but again, the rejections were, you know, Oh, this is, you know, voice is great, blah, blah, blah. So um, then an editor from St. Martin had this idea for um, a cheese shop, uh, cozy mystery, and was looking for a writer 
to write it. And so reached out to my agent and I guess several others. And um, my agent uh, reached out, you know, to me and said, would you want to try this? And of course I was like, oh my God, yes, you know. And I think that's where, you know, it's important to know that like you have to get there. So yes, it was disappointing that my first book didn't get published because that was, you know, the one that I had worked so long on. Um, But if I hadn't done that, if my agent hadn't seen that I could write two cozies, because she really believed in me. And she was like, you have this cozy thing down, you know how to write cozies, you write well, it's just a matter of, you know, getting hitting the sweet spot, whatever. And also, I think the editors at these publishing house had seen what I had written and knew I could write. And so, you you know, you kind of have to walk those stepping stones, even though you don't think they're stepping stones at the time, you think that's your big thing. Um, And so, yeah, so I wrote a proposal for that. Um, I had to do it in two weeks. I ended up doing it in three um, because basically, okay, write a book about a cheese shop owner. Um, She gave me that criteria and she wanted it set in California. And so um, I, you know, you you had to think of the whole book, you know, all the characters, everything. Um, and the setting and everything, of course, I've traveled a lot. I've never been to California. Um, and I live in new England. So that was another thing. And, and for me, I really have to know where I am before I can do anything else. So even though I was only writing a five page synopsis, I felt like I really had to know the whole thing. I didn't want to send something in, have it be accepted and then have to work from that when that wasn't for me workable or it didn't connect with me, you know? So I did, so I thought of everything. Uh, I um, wrote the five page synopsis, which was worse than writing, you know, thinking, yeah. brainstorming everything and plotting out a whole mystery. That sounds to people, I think, hard. But for me, the, synop- the five page synopsis, yes. that's like, that was 100%. the worst part. Oh my 100%. God. So I did that. And then I had to write the first three chapters. And then I also, of course, they wanted it to be a series because Cozy Mysteries are series. So I had to write two summaries for books, possible books two and three. And so um, I sent that in. And so um, I ended up, she ended up choosing me to write the, the series. And that's how I got the first contract. And then after I wrote the first three books, I got last summer, I got a contract for three more. So yay. <laughs> yeah. So I'm continuing the series, which I'm loving. That's awesome. So were they taking multiple proposals from people and kind of picking the one they like the best? That's what my agent implied because she said, well, how long will it take you to do this? She said to me, and I'd never done that before all of that. You know, whenever I wrote a book, I just took my sweet time and whatever and, and kind of just started writing and seeing where it took me. And I, so I didn't know. I said, well, I, I don't know. What do you think? A, a few weeks. And she's like, well, you know, I don't know how many others are in the pool of this. So I would get it in. And so that's why I was like, okay, let me do it in a couple of weeks. And then it was back and forth with my editor for like that last week to get it right. Cause she's my, I mean, my agent, not my editor, my agent, um, because she's a great editor. And so we were, uh, she was helping me with it. And then I finally sent it in. So, yeah, so I don't, I don't know who else was in the pool. That's awesome. And it's probably worth noting the, so there's a couple ways just from, you know, uh, like that an idea can come from inside a publishing house. So there's the way that, that you came in where they said, we have this idea, but they hadn't fleshed it out fully. Then there's also the right for hire where they actually have the whole idea for the book laid out. They have a book Bible, they have everything, all the characters, and then they hire people to write a book. And that's where they retain ownership rights of that series, no matter what. Whereas this, it's your, it's your series, your characters, even though it was their original idea. Correct. Yes. I was, um, in an interview with Julianne Lindsay, um, who's also Brie Baker and she, as Julianne Lindsay, she writes, um, uh, Christmas cozy. And that one is the, is for hire where they own everything and she writes and they could choose another writer for it if they wanted to and that kind of thing. Yeah. But mine is just the idea and I own everything and can do, you know, whatever with it. Yeah. That's so great. So what surprised you most about this whole process and the business of publishing? Cause it really is kind of a crazy business, right? <laughs> you know, you're still, you still don't know everything. Like you're on the other side of it and you think you're gonna, and, but I still don't really <laughs> know what's going on. I just do my part. Um, <laughs> 
So the, I think that going into it, the most surprising was I was so focused on getting an agent. You know, you do your manuscript, your query, agent, get an agent, get an agent. I thought when you got an agent, it was home free. You were yeah. basically published. And that is so far from the truth. Um, I, there was There's a, a private Facebook group for um, writers who are agented, who are on submission. And there are so many of them. It, actually, I left the group because it made me a little scared because there were so many that either were years without getting um, mm. published or had ended up changing agents because they realized their agent wasn't any good. And so it was just, uh, it was like an eye opener to me because I went in all, you know, green and thinking, oh, this is going to be fun. We'll all just cheer each other on. And then hearing all these mm. self stories, I thought, oh my God, this is not, you know, I can't <laughs> deal with this, you know? So I, um, so yeah, so that was a big, shock that there's a whole nother process. Okay. That's one foot in the door, but then you got to actually, you know, then there's the publishers, um, thing. And I guess for being at a large publishing house, like I do have a publicity and marketing team and they are very helpful with getting my book and my name out to large venues and, you know, mass, uh, people and, you know, getting, my name in a, you know, up for a magazine or something to be in and things like that. I was in, um, gone for good. It was in woman's world and, and, yep. um, yeah. And so that, you know, that was a, their book club pick of the week. And, um, so just having my book in front of them in order for a magazine or something to choose from is, you know, is a major thing, but I still have to do so much of the marketing and the work. And I don't get, a lot of people still think like the publisher pays me to go to a conference or go here or there. Mm. And now <laughs> like, next fall, I'm getting paid for my first, to go to my first, um, big event, but that's from the venue is paying me, not my publisher. So, um, those kinds of things that, you know, you're just kind of on your own. And also the, 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 how low, how little you get paid if you're just doing, you know, for most of us, I mean, there are some yeah. people who get paid a lot, but most of us don't get paid much. Yeah. Yep. That is sadly true. <laughs> but, but, you know, look how far you come. I mean, talk about how it felt to hear that you were an Agatha nominee, because that is a big deal. Oh my gosh. A very big deal. I mean, with all of the craziness and and like I say with the you know the marketing and the salary whatever I still wouldn't do anything else you know I would still choose this a hundred times over and being nominated for my first book when I felt like I knew you know nothing and I was under the pressure like I said of the deadline and you know it was the begin very beginning it was in April when we were first in lockdown and of COVID so um just that whole experience was like, I really wasn't sure about it. And then for it to be received so well, and then also to get the Agatha nomination was really, really, it's such a cliche to say it's just an honor to be nominated, but it truly, truly is. And especially, you know, it's named after Agatha Christie. And I mean, my God, I just adore, you know, those books. Yeah. I mean, I read my first one when I was 12. I read her for 20 years. I still pick up once in a while an Agatha Christie book just for the heck of it. And so to be, you know, in the same breath as Agatha Christie is just such an honor. And and also, you know, for my fellow authors to nominate my book or to even know about it. Like, I, I just kind of, I, I... I'm in the community and I love the community and we're, um, we keep in contact a lot, thank goodness for social media and whatnot, but I'm writing a lot of the time and I'm here in the quiet corner of Connecticut. I'm kind of, you know, as far as the writing goes, I'm very solitary as, you know, I guess everybody is. So when people know about my book, I still feel like, oh, it's the little book. It's a little engine that could, you know, it's the little yeah, yeah. book. <laughs> so the fact that anybody like would, know it enough to go ahead and, you know, nominate it and, and be up there with the others is just, um, really an honor. It's, I was so, I'm so thrilled about it. I just love it. That's so fun. That's so awesome. And it reminds me of, um, a funny story that I will share about when I was nominated for an Agatha and I knew like next to nothing. So 
for those who are, are not in this world and don't know, um, the Agatha Awards are given every year at the Malice Domestic Conference. And this is a whole cozy conference. It's for readers, um, you know, and it's based on Agatha Christie, basically. And so when you win an Agatha Award, you get a little teapot and it's the best thing. <laughs> so I knew about the award, but I didn't really get the whole concept of like how it happened. And so I got a call one night. I think it was like a Sunday night and I got a call and somebody on the other end of the line said, congratulations, you've been nominated for an Agatha award. And the lady must've thought I was, you know, dead or something because I was like, Oh, that's nice. Thank you. And I, (laughs) and I hung up the phone and I was like, Oh, that's cool. And so I didn't know. I thought like, Oh, my friends must've sent my name in, you know, for this. And they took everyone's name that got sent in and like, how nice that my friends did that. And so I sent an email to the rest of the wicked authors and they were like, um, hello <laughs> like that's a big deal like people not us like people like real people right. not me you. I was like oh <laughs> you're so cute oh my god oh, that that's is funny. Really funny yeah yeah when I now they email they don't make phone calls anymore but when I got the email I was I was truly shocked like and I and I didn't for a while I just thought okay, maybe they sent it to the wrong person or like, I really kind of waited a little bit, you know, because I just, I just couldn't believe it. So yeah, really an honor. So funny. And also it says a lot about how neither of us were like ready to accept the fact that our books are good. People like them. We're always like, oh no, it must not have been me. Exactly. No, that is true. (laughs) All right. So you mentioned community and I love that because I wanted to get to that a little bit. So um, I met you a long time ago at the Windsor Library in Connecticut. You had come to uh, a couple of my Wicked Author friends were, and I were doing a panel. Um, and you came and you were so engaged in the conversation. And like, I think you stayed late to talk to us. And I just remember like how cool it was that you were so, you reminded me of like me in the, in the days of like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to talk to anybody who listened to me. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> So, and I and we just hit it off that night, and yeah, and we've kept in touch ever since. And now we share an agent, we share a publishing house, and so just talk about that sense of community in the mystery writing field, and like how it's impacted your career. Oh well, it's been everything. I mean, truly everything. I, I always say that writing is solitary, but um, being a writer doesn't have to be. And so. Um, yeah, like you said, I mean, there's been so many people in the writing community along the way. I, I could not, I, again, this sounds cliche, I could not be here without, you know, the others, but it's absolutely true. There's no way, there's no way I would be here without um, you and Barbara Ross and Edith Maxwell taking your time with me to talk with, the, you know, the excited young woman, younger woman that I was and, um, and you know, giving me really good advice. And um, Jane Hartel was there too. She wasn't on the panel. Panel, but she was also helpful. She was in the audience, very hard, helpful. And, um, and then, you know, you giving me Barbara Ross, who's also, she's a prolific uh, short story mystery writer. And so her, and also I'm very good friends with her now. And so all these people along the way um, who've helped me and then everybody supporting Sisters in Crime, that's the organization that you should absolutely, you know, the one mistake I did make was not joining the writing community when I was unpublished. I just didn't feel like I was worthy of that, that I was in Mm -hmm. that circle yet. And that's such a not, that's being in it now, it doesn't matter. You know, if you're a writer, you're a writer. And so it doesn't matter if you're published or not as far as being in the community. And um, because it's really just the people I've met, everybody's been so supportive and, I'm not one to, I don't really ask for help a lot. I um, mostly think, you know, I can do this on my own. I can figure it out. But just reading other people or talking to other authors and then you just glean things from them and you think, oh, okay, you know. And then when it's your turn, you help other writers. And I don't do it consciously. I don't, you know, she helped me, so I'll help her, whatever. It's just a very authentic, at least for me, and I just feel like it is for the people I'm around, the writers I'm in the community. Um, it's authentic friendships, and it's not just a community because you have something in common. It's a community because you really are there to support each other, and especially the mystery community and the cozy mystery community. Um, 
I feel like we all feel like everybody's success is the genre's success. You know, it lifts us all up and it helps to shine a light on cozy mysteries and mysteries. And um, so we're all there for each other saying, yes, you know, do this. And it really couldn't be done um, without everybody. For sure. I I heard Harlan Coben speaking at a conference once. He was in conversation with Michael Connolly and, um, I'll, I'll never forget what he said. It was just, it was gorgeous. He said, you know, how great the mystery community was. And he said, it's because everyone understands that no one has to fail for anyone else to succeed. Absolutely. That's exactly it. And I really feel like everybody I've ever met has that attitude. There is no sense of, I've never felt a sense of competition. I went to my first, you know, Malice Domestic last year and um, every writer from the, you know, from, from the people that I've been reading forever and who I was just, you know, fangirling were so nice, um, down to anybody. It was just, everybody was feeling a sense of camaraderie and help and support and excitement for each other and their books. And it's just lovely. It really is. Yeah. And also like, we know that people just, people who are serious about reading, I mean, how many books do you have on your bookshelf that you may have never even read, but you still keep buying books, right? So, I mean, it's not, people are always going to buy books. Yes, <laughs> so. yes absolutely. <laughs> so many. Yes. And, and I do want to just go back to one thing you said, um, because I couldn't agree more when you said you wish you had joined, um, a, a, you know, one of the mystery groups or communities, like uh, formally before you were published. Um, and I want to say anyone out there who's debating, you know, whether they should join something like that, like Sisters in Crime, for example, or Mystery Writers of America. Well, I think Mystery Writers of America, you have to be published, but I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that. Um, but, you know, I joined Sisters in Crime when I started going to Crime Bake and I found Crime Bake just because I, you know, decided one day, like, I'm going to write mysteries. And I Googled, you know, mystery writer conferences and I found one in my own backyard. And, I started going and then the people were so lovely and they said, you should join Sisters in Crime. And I did. And then I joined the New England chapter. And honestly, that's how I got published. I don't know where I'd be without that because I was a part of Sisters in Crime New England and my then agent had, this was back when Cozy's were starting to explode. And he had reached out to the president at the time. It was Sheila Connolly, um, lovely lady who we miss like every day. Um, and he asked her to recommend some writers he could write, he could work on, uh, proposals with. And she being the lovely lady that she was, did not want to single people out. So she gave, she sent the email out to the whole membership and then anyone who wanted to contact him could do that. And so I did, my wicked author sisters did, and that's how we all got our contracts and got published. So if I hadn't joined that before I got published, I, I, you know, I don't know when I would have gotten published. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's just that being in in touch and that connection and it really helps in the beginning. And then it also just continues on with the connection because you never stop learning. And also writers are interesting, you know, they're, they're just, their, their books are interesting. Um, their stories are interesting. I just, and the friendships you make too, it's just really like nothing else. Absolutely. Totally agree. So I I talk a lot about process here on the podcast and, you know, in my work outside the the process of actual writing. And I'd love to know, like, how do you approach a book? What's your process? Mm. So I um, start with, well, let's talk about my cheese shop series, because that's mainly what I've been doing is, of course, cheese has to be the central theme. So I always think, okay, what can we do that's centered around some cheese or cheese event or something like that. So I, I start there and then I just kind of brainstorm, um, you know, that event and maybe how Willa would be involved in that and why she would feel the need to uh, want to investigate because that's really important. And then I go to the, um, the, person who's killed, that's usually pretty easy in the beginning. That's almost my first thing that I think of after that. And then I try to kind of list, okay, who might be a suspect? And I try to get five or six people around that idea that I have um, as suspects and then what their motives are. And sometimes I'll choose who is going to be the killer right away. Sometimes I'll wait a little bit till I'm done brainstorming or outlining and seeing who, which motive feels right. Um, and so I do all that. I do all that on notebook and paper because I have to circle and cross out and do arrows. I just, it makes me 
feel good, you know, <laughs> to, yeah. to kind of have it be on the page the way it is in my brain, but also to not be so neat where I have to stick with something, you know, yeah. and because yeah. uh, you have to be able to go back to it. And so I do all that. And then I do um, an outline and it's still not like I don't always stick to the outline, but it is the spine of what I do. So when I get a little off course, I know how to get back. And um, so, you know, there are some people who don't plot out a mystery. I was on a panel with Valerie Burns um, on the bookish hour, not a panel, it was a podcast. And um, she is a pantser and you know she she's vm burns she writes fantastic cozies and i don't know how she does it because even with an outline i panic in the middle because there are so many moving parts there's so many red herrings there's so many and they all have to go where they're supposed to go in the right order and so invariably i panic and think oh my God, why am I doing, why, why did she say this? Or, or does this already, like there's something in it that I think I've totally blown or a big <laughs> plot hole or something that I didn't think through. And only because of my outline, I go back and I think, oh no, okay, now I know. All right, whew, you know, but if I didn't have that, I, I'd probably, who knows? Um, so I, I do the outline and then I do chapter by chapter uh, to make sure that it kind of holds together and that the transitions um, kind of work. And then I go into actually typing on the computer. Um, I, I try to do, well, it's kind of either scenes or a first draft. It depends when how long it's taken me to write the other stuff, if I'm doing it mm -hmm. in order, or if I just have to, I have to go now, I have to get into it now, you know? So, um, but my first draft is always so short, like 40,000 words. It's very messy. It's not, it's really, again, just to make sure it holds together the scenes work that I'm not writing anything for the plot, but it's, it's organic the way it's moving. So that's the point of my first draft for me is even though, you know, the writing stinks, any description, I just put description here, any cheese stuff, I look for where she might, um, be able to do the cheese without stopping what's going on. Um, and then I'll put cheese here. And mm. so those kind of things. So, yeah. And, and, you know, so I can go back to that, but um, yeah, so, so that's my first draft, but that usually then doesn't take me too long to do it. And then I can say, okay, this is going to work. And then the rest of it is revision, 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 you know, research, uh, cheese and that takes quite a while um and talk to my cheese friends and then um come back and be able to insert that and and then write the rest of it i'm a very slow writer as far as my writing like i enjoy that whole process of um brainstorming and plotting and outlining and all of that if i could be more of like a james patterson and give the writing section mm -hmm. to someone else to do i would prefer that because um that takes me a long time to actually figure out because uh, i think i just changed my mind too much about what sounds best you know and so i can i can literally work on a paragraph and all of a sudden it's been 40 minutes and i'm like Karina, you're supposed to get this chapter done today and you've been working on this paragraph, stop, you know. So, yeah. Um, so yeah. So that's my actual, and again, maybe not advised. I don't think I'm giving any good advice here, but it is my, the way I do things that it seems to so far have worked for me. It does always work out in the end, which I don't know if it's good or bad because I feel like it's not a great process, but because it works out in the end, I do it again, you know, for the next yeah. book. Yeah. And it's not, I think we're all so hard on ourselves. Right. And I do this too. Like we, you know, I just, you know, 11 years later after my first book's published, I'm, I'm finally starting to like embrace the fact that I have a kind of a weird process, but like it's yeah. my process. And so, no, I'm not going to tell people they have to write this way, but right. I think we all have to just do what works for us. Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. I, I definitely agree with that. It definitely, you know, like I said, it has worked so far, knock on wood. So, yep. So it doesn't sound like you have a lot of trouble keeping your creative juices flowing, especially when you're in that brainstorming piece of the process. Do you have Do you have anything you do to keep your creativity up and running? I definitely do. I like to change where I'm writing. Like I 
will not write in my office uh, all the time. Like uh, right here, uh, anywhere with a chair, I will write because I have to not, if I'm in one place and it's not, not in the moment, not in one writing session, but in the day, you know, depending. And yeah. then if I'm just not feeling creative, like I said, I need to write every day. And so um, in order to get it done, that's how I, not really for, oh, creatively, I need to write every day. I'm saying to get it done, I need to write every day. So um, if I'm not feeling it at home, I take my computer and I go somewhere else just for change of scenery. And that for me just kind of, you know, jogs it. I try to do a place where I can't be um, distracted by my own stuff, which at home sometimes I can. So, you know, I'll go to um, a cafe or more likely, actually, because I'm, I'm not a coffee person, I'm a Diet Coke person. I'll go to uh, my McDonald's and get my free refills of Dollar Diet Coke. And <laughs> I'll write there if it's not too crowded. Um, in the nicer weather, I actually like to write in my car. I'll park it in a place because I like activity around me, but not like right at me. And so I'll go and park kind of outside of a parking lot with a nice tree or something. It's kind of like being in a sunny cubicle. Mm -hmm. And um, and there's no, you know, I just don't pull out my phone. And um, and then I write. And I mean, I'm, I'm just sitting there writing. And I don't know. It's just, I don't know if it's the close quarters or what, but it's always really worked for me. Plus it's, I don't know, it's just nice and warm and you can feel the air and I don't know, you don't think, oh, I have laundry to do. You just, you're just yeah. right. So yeah. yeah, all those things. And then if I'm really feeling drained, like I was, um, last month, then I'll go on a little retreat. Of course I, I budget that in because that's not, you know, the most cost effective thing to do. But, um, so last month I went on a solo uh cruise uh writing retreat for me and you know some because sometimes i just need to like really get away and um for me the sea just oh, i can breathe i can think i can remember why i loved this you know yep. <laughs> just too much pressure um and i needed that before I had just finished writing book four, Case of the Blues, and so I needed that before I started on this, all this release marketing, uh, all this Curds of Prey uh, marketing and uh, release day for that. And I knew, you know, book five is coming at the clock doesn't stop on the next one. So I just, I knew I was going to have to start that and I just really needed to feel energized so I could be excited about that book. Yeah. And your trip looked amazing. It was amazing. <laughs> I was jealous. I, oh my God. I, I wish it was the best thing. I was so, worked out so much better. It was my first trip alone, especially something like that. But I really got lucky. The vibe of the cruise was just calm. And I mean, it was beautiful and the weather was great. And it just really was, did everything for me that I hoped it would do, except it just, I, I wanted it to go on and on. This was the only problem. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So talk about a little bit about what's, what Curds for Prey is about. Uh, Curds of Prey is about, um, so this is book three. And so Willa is going to do a, um, like I said, a cheese bar for a wedding shower for a wealthy, uh, very, you know, social and powerful family. And um, so it's a big deal for her to do it. And then it ends up being disastrous and the fiance of the bride-to-be ends up uh, getting killed. And also Willa finds out some things about um, the guy she's dating, how he's involved um, in the, his past, that things that he didn't tell her. Um, and so a lot of her relationship issues come out in this one. And um, so it's, it's fun and there's, there's a lot going on. There's, it takes place around Valentine's day. So there's oh, also, yeah. So there's also um, everybody in town is uh, on the decorating committee to decorate the hall. They're going to have this town wide dance. And so there's a lot going on. And for anybody who has read my mysteries, um, the side character is Mrs. Schultz. She has kind of, um, she got herself into a love triangle that she doesn't know. She's a widowed, uh, 60 something, uh, woman. And so she's just like not even dating. And all of a sudden, you know, she's got this going on. And then Archie, the young 20 year old, he's had a crush for a long time on this girl who's his friend. And so, uh, you know, he wants to ask her to the dance. So there's a lot of that going on along with the, you know, murder mystery. That's awesome. It sounds like a blast. <laughs> yeah. 
All right, we're going to do some rapid fire questions before we wrap up. So, all right, get ready. This is, these are, a couple of these are hard. What's okay. your favorite book on writing? Um, Bird, there's two, Bird by Bird by Anne Lamott and On Writing by Stephen King. I like the inspirational oh. fun ones, yeah. Those are my top, two in my top <laughs> five, totally, too. Love them. All right, favorite, this one's really hard. Favorite author of all time. And if you want to do more than one, that's fine. <laughs> Yeah, this is, I mean, I'm going to say Agatha Christie just because I've been reading her for the longest and she's been such a, you know, seminal reason why I wanted to write mysteries in the first place. Um, but I have to say I love Ann Patchett too for the non-mystery. Um, I just, I love her as well. Um, so yeah, those would be my two. Awesome. All right. One no fail way to get out of a writing slump. Um, leave the house. That's mine. Cool. Best piece of writing advice you ever got? Ooh, I think perseverance. I think, and that might have been Stephen King um, that I got that from. Um, just keep, just keep going. Like don't, uh, like block out the noise from everything else. Just keep your own path. Yeah, put the blinders on. Just do you. Mm -hmm. yes. Love it. All right, favorite song on your writing playlist. You know, I don't really care to listen to music. Sometimes I will listen to monks chanting. I have, I do have that, um, nice. but I can't really, I prefer not to listen to music. So I don't have a playlist. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Karina, thank you so much for sharing your launch day with me and for being on the podcast. I'm, I'm really happy that you, that you came on and I, I loved our conversation. So thank you. Well, thank you, Liz. This is so full circle for me to have, you know, a launch day with you, um, especially is just so exciting. And then to be here with you, this is just so, oh my God, it's really, really <laughs> special for me. So thank you. I loved being here. I always love talking to you. Thank you. So do I. Tell people where they can find you. At my website, which is KarinaMossAuthor.com. Um, and I'm also on Instagram, Karina Moss Author. I'm on Facebook. Guess what? Karina Moss Author. So <laughs> just if you type that into Google, I bet you'll find me. So come on down and I have a newsletter. Um, be a part of Team Cheese. If you go to my website and scroll down, you can subscribe. It's a free monthly newsletter. Awesome. Yep. Everyone go check her out and pick up Curds of Prey out today. And also Which Way Out is out today. Both fun Yay! reads. So make sure you get them. <laughs> so thanks, Karina. We'll talk again soon. Bye-bye. <laughs> so wasn't that a fun conversation? I just love talking to fellow authors and celebrating their accomplishments. And seriously, her books are so fun. You have to check them out if you haven't already. Who doesn't love cheese? I'd love to hear what resonated most with you all in this episode. So let me know over on my Instagram page. You'll find the link to that along with the link to all things Karina in the show notes. And make sure you subscribe to the podcast if you enjoyed it. As a new pod, it would really mean the world for me to get this information into the ears of anyone who needs it. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next week. <laughs>